Welcome to the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, hosted by veterinarians Dr. Lewis Kirkham and Dr. Robbie Anderton, who'll give you the inside scoop on the secret lives of your pets and have a lighthearted look at the latest animal news, health tips, and other random facts. All names of people and pets have been changed for confidentiality, so if the story sounds familiar, don't flatter yourself. Every owner is just as animal crazy as you are. So sit down, place your furry feathered or scaly best friend on your lap, and it's over to Lewis and Robbie. Hello and welcome, listeners, to episode 65 of the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, where, talk, where too much talking of pets is barely enough. I'm Dr. Robbie Anderton, and I'm joined as I am every week by the uh, man who doesn't want to talk about football, it's Dr. Lewis Kirkham. Lewis, how are you going? Yeah, I'm good, Robbie. I'm good, mate. How are you? Uh, I'm very well. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited for football this weekend. How about you? I don't know what you're talking about, mate. Nothing happened this <laughs> week. <laughs> Did you just build a wall around look, it and trying to ignore it? Look, mate, I'd, I'd love to chat, but we've got, got, a, got a very special guest uh, on so, today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And otherwise, we do otherwise need... you would go in-depth into it, would That's you? That's right, Excellent. would we? Have, we, we really piece and break it down bit by bit quarter by quarter quarter by quarter a real but, good analysis but, but our special guest mate and we got someone special we in today have, in, yes, in the we, pod cave we, we are joined by dr laura broccoli a uh, a great mate of ours and uh, who uh, graduated uni with me so you know back back in this century that is lewis you know not not in the previous century like yourself um so uh, so uh, a little bio laura started her oncology career in 2008 with an internship and residency at the melbourne veterinary specialist center in 2012 she co-founded victorian animal cancer care a clinic dedicated to treating cancer in pets 2013 laura became a registered specialist in veterinary oncology which was really cool laura lectures in oncology for the bachelor of veterinary nursing degree and is the examiner for our next generation of oncology specialists she spends her spare time chasing after two gorgeous girls who are now one and three and has recently returned from maternity leave joining the amazing team of specialists at advanced vet care she feels passionate about using evidence-based medicine to provide compassionate care for pets with cancer so uh welcome laura and uh Thanks for joining us on the pod. Thank you very much for having me. That's all right. The You're pleasure. doing fine. It's all good. <laughs> pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you on board. R- really, really good. Uh, look, that's an amazing bio. Fantastic. You know, um, there aren't many, as far as I understand, many pet oncologists out there in, in Australia? No, there's not. There's only four of us here in Victoria. Wow. And I think about 15 now in the country. Yeah, And right. we have five sitting there examinations. Um, they just sat them this week, actually, and then they've got orals in about a month. So Very good. Well, you are the examiner. Can you tell us if they passed or not? No, <laughs> <laughs> no I definitely can't tell you that. <laughs> I don't know yet, actually. I haven't finished marking. <laughs> uh, look, look uh, amazing, amazing bio there. But what, what made you get interested into in you know, pet cancer and, and oncology and that sort of thing? Yeah, look, I think my interest was first sparked at a conference I went to as a new grad. Um, it was up in Cairns, the AVA conference. 2003. Yeah, yeah. did you go to that yeah, one yeah, as well? Up there, I was up there too. Yeah, 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 yeah. it was a great conference and it was almost the whole conference, the whole week was about oncology and they had the two speakers, um, Greg Ogilvie and Rod Straw. Rod Straw, yeah. Really bouncing off each other and I think that was probably the first peak that I had. Um, and then I went through a cancer battle with a family member, a close family member who we, we actually lost, unfortunately. Oh, dear. And I think... I did a lot of reading and I was kind of immersed in the area um, and it was actually not long after that that I started the internship. It sort of became my new passion. Focus, your new focus. direction. Yeah, yeah right. that's right and haven't really looked back since. Fantastic. So so you both went to the same conference and, and Laura became a, an oncology specialist, mate. How about yourself, Robbie? No, I remember an, oh, drinking way too much up there. <laughs> I, I, I do. I, re, I, I can remember. I remember catching up because it, um, it was pretty well every, a lot of people from our year level. Yeah. You know, um, Colin was there, Lou Andrado, um, Kate Gallus was there. Um, 
yep. uh, yourself, uh, Emma was it? So yeah, it was like a massive swath of people from the 2001 graduating year. It was almost like a like a semi two year reunion. Yeah, which yeah, uh, right. worst places in Cairns to try and you know have to catch up for uh, nice. you know, especially under the guise of a of a conference. But you know, I think Laura probably took more out of us than the rest of us. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Sounds like she took something good from it. I think it was yeah. a big party week, that's for sure. Oh. But I definitely got something out of it. Obviously, but, but, <laughs> we, we could do that back in those days, Laura. We're back in our twenties, life was a lot simpler yes. then. Yeah, yeah, yes, this is true. Uh, so, so Larry, to really put it out there in front of you, what is cancer? Like, what's what what happens? What where? How does cancer come about? What is it? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it really starts with with one cell, really, and you get an abnormality or a mutation in that cell, and then it goes unchecked by the body because mutations in cells are actually really common. Every time a cell replicates, you'll get some DNA mutations, but the body is usually really good at recognising that and getting rid of that cell. And so cancer happens when it escapes those normal sort of control mechanisms, and then you get this uncontrolled growth that's not being checked by the body. And so... That then results in a cancer in an organ and then that, that cancer can sometimes then leave that organ and spread to other parts of the body. But it's yep. basically an abnormality that starts in one cell. So it's sort of a clonal abnormality where they all grow from that one that one problem cell. And because that's what our immune system is for, isn't it? As much as what it's there trying to help to fight off infections, like it's looking at it, the immune system's thing is looking for abnormal cells. Mm-hmm. And these cancer cells, they usually look a little bit different, don't they? And they can usually pick them and clear them out. But it's mm-hmm. when they sort of look like a duck and walk like a duck but actually end up reprodu- reproducing like a something nasty <laughs> turkey. Oh, lost a turkey a turkey <laughs> something I don't know I lost the analogy well, Lewis I was with you oh good thank you thank you. you yeah but then you left me hanging halfway <laughs> over the cliff thanks mate that's great <laughs> absolutely though you're right and cancer is very good at evading the immune system it actually releases immunosuppressive substances and so a lot of our newer treatments are about trying to reduce the immunosuppressant and, and harnessing the immune system to help fight the cancer because so it's there yeah. Might as well use it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it works really well in some people. There's some people that have spontaneous remissions. Um, so we know that, that the immune system is important. Um, and so that's something for the future for sure. Oh, mm. fa- fantastic. So with, with your, obviously with the, the referrals you see, what's the most, you know, what are the, what are the three most tom- common types of cancer that you'll see coming through your door every day? Definitely lymphoma. That would be our, our top cancer in dogs and cats presenting with that. And what is lymphoma? Um, it's a cancer of a, a lymphocyte, which is a white blood cell, and so it tends to be a very systemic cancer. Um, the most common presentation is in dogs when you get big lymph nodes you know, all over the body that come up. And the good thing about that is it's a really responsive cancer. And so as an oncologist, it's one that we tend to treat with chemotherapy. Um, yeah, And cats do it a little bit differently because cats like to do that. They tend to get it in a more anatomical way. They might get it in the kidneys or in the liver or in the intestinal tract. But um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's often a, a good trans- cancer to treat in that it can be quite responsive. Okay. And are there other ones that are common as well? What else do you see? Yeah, we see a lot of bone cancers, osteosarcoma, especially at the moment I'm working with a great team of surgeons. So they tend to take the leg off and then I follow that with chemotherapy. Um, so it's not very nice that they take away a leg and we give you one, you know, take away one of your... Uh Avenues of trying to get chemotherapy no, into them. That's fairly, you know, <laughs> typical surgeons. The other one to do is just go in there and just cut something off. They're not worrying about, you know, the the end result of you. You go, well, hang on, that's I've, I've just lost a vein to try and get a catheter in. Well, that's true, but we do say dogs are born with three legs and a spare, so I figure they've just lost their spare. Oh, oh there you go. I nice. Like, yeah. I like that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And anything else that you see commonly that that uh, you know on day to day basis or? Yeah, definitely mast cell tumors are another one we see a lot of, um, more so in dogs, but it's the most common skin cancer that we see and it's a really variable cancer you know it can be very benign it's cut out and and cured and they're the ones i 
don't tend to see. Um, and then they can be highly aggressive and malignant and metastatic. And they're the ones. I see all the bad guys with mast cell tumours. So I probably have a skewed um, opinion of mast cell tumours. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. well, you mentioned metastas- uh, metastatic. So what, what is a metastasis? What's, uh, what does that mean? Yeah, it's basically when the tumour is able to leave the primary where it started and spread to other parts of the body. And so that might be the lungs or the liver or the lymph nodes. And every cancer is a little bit different as to where it tends to metastasize to. But it's basically, yeah, cancer spread to, to other organs. And is that one of the major differentiations between like a benign cancer and a malignant cancer the fact of where you know where it's likely to be and where it's likely to go exactly that's right so benign tumors basically don't have the ability to spread and they can still cause problems if you think about a benign brain tumor for example they can still be grow to a difficult size and and inhibit really important parts of the brain so benign tumors aren't always biologically benign but as a general rule no they can't spread to other parts of the body whereas a malignant cancer has that ability to leave the primary tumor and spread elsewhere yeah right all right i was, I was actually talking to deb about you know we were going to have you on the podcast and that sort of thing and uh, and she and we we're talking about sort of chemotherapy which you've already brought up a little bit and she was saying you know sort of i guess when we graduated chemotherapy was something that was rarely done you know uh, 20 years ago to have a patient coming in to have chemotherapy like oh wow you know what's the protocol and how do we go about doing it but but nowadays i get you know there's a lot more clients that i'm sending off to you referring Mm -hmm. off to you to um to have chemotherapy so can you give us a a a little bit of an insight of of what exactly happens when when we send a pet off to have chemotherapy Mm -hmm. um you know there are a lot of misconceptions out there about owners feel and uh, and owners might feel oh i don't want to do that to my pet or subject them to that um what exactly happens when they come and have chemotherapy at your place yeah, it certainly is very different in animals to how it is in people. And I've obviously seen that from my own family members yeah. compared to my patients. And it's the, the aims are very different. You know, in animals, it's about quality of life over quantity of life. So we actually give them, the drugs we give them are human chemotherapy drugs, but we're giving them at a lot lower dose and less intense protocols. We're less likely to give them multiple drugs at the same time. And so that means their tolerance is so much better. And that's because we can't explain to that patient that we're going to give you a drug that's going to make you live longer. And so it's got to be fair. It's got to be well tolerated, and and the gains are smaller. You know, if you're tr- if you're treating a ten year old dog and you you cure it, well, it might only live another two, three, yeah. five years. Whereas in people, it might live another fifty or sixty years. And so as people, you can choose to go through a really Intensive, difficult, yeah. Yeah, exactly, for for that potential cure. And so in animals, we're not always treating to cure. We're often just treating to improve quality of life, extend life. Sometimes we cure them, absolutely, but the the, the aims are different and it's it's quality over quantity. That's our that's our mantra. Fantastic. I like that. That that yeah, that that's really good because I think yeah, a lot of owners yeah really worried about the uh, the quality of life exactly like you say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you mentioned sort of sometimes there can be some side effects mm-hmm. associated with that. Obviously, you're doing your best to minimize those, and I think doing a lot better 20 years on now since when I graduated. Certainly, that the stuff that that you guys do is, is amazing. What are some of the sort of common side effects that you do tend to see with chemotherapy? Yep. Um, so the chemotherapy is killing cells that are actively dividing. That's how it works. And that's what we were talking about before. Cancer is that uncontrolled cell growth. And so the reality is it, it, it doesn't know that's a cancer cell and that's a normal cell. It's just looking for cells that are dividing. And so the normal cells in the body that are actively dividing are the ones that can still get damaged by the chemotherapy. And that's what then causes those side effects. And the, the cells in the body that are still actively turning over 
liver are the cells in the intestinal tract and the cells in the bone marrow. They're the main two. And so the side effects we tend to see will be tummy upset, things like vomiting, diarrhea, decreased appetite or drops in their white blood cells or drops in their platelets and things like that. So we tend to watch for the white cell count and the platelet count as oncologists. We're doing blood tests every time we give a treatment. And as owners, they tend to be watching at home for any tummy upset because that tends to be a delayed side effect. It often doesn't happen for a few days. But the reality is the way we set our dosing is we want 80% of our patients to get minimal to no side effects. So it should be the vast majority. It's pretty mild. And the definition of mild might might be that um, they have a they have a bit of an upset tummy. They might miss breakfast, but they might then eat again by that night. Or yeah, they might right. have a runny stool, but the stool comes back to normal within one or two days. So they should be short-lived and often self-resolving. And even then, we've got some pretty good um, medications these days to help out with nausea. You know, like, again, much better than when we all graduated. You know, like we've got some pretty good stuff to try and help out with uh, with dogs. You know, to preempt, like, so if they've had a, a, an upset tummy to a previous treatment, you can preempt it and say, hey, they're a little bit upset last time. Here, take some of this and hopefully that'll, that'll offset it a little bit. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. And we get to know patients as they go through the protocol. So we know exactly right. They, we know he might have a bit of a runny stool on day three. So on day two, we're going to start an anti-diarrheal medication or yeah. we give them anti-nausea tablets to take home and, and we use them preemptively if we suspect that they might have more trouble. So yeah, it's all about trying to prevent these things before they happen. Yeah. And also, you know, we do dose reductions if they're unlucky. So about 5% can get severe side effects and the definition of that is they end up hospitalized on a drip needing more intensive treatments and if that happens we don't want that to happen again so we might drop our dose change our drug do something differently so that they don't end up in that situation that's a, that's a real low percentage, though, isn't it? You know, it sort is. of five five percent. That's uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yes. really, really low. Yeah, yeah. And you're pretty happy with five percent uh, for most of your medication side effects, really. You know, I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty low number to actually say. Well, this is going to be. I mean, obviously, like zero. But, yes. You know, but mm. uh, you know, to actually then say, well, hang on, we've got to change the goalposts a little bit with how we're going to try and treat these animals. Mm. Um, well, so well, if you think about something like antibiotics, I don't know what the percentage of uh, of um, side effects of antibiotics would be, but I imagine they'd be higher than five percent. Number of dogs that perhaps get diarrhea on antibiotics or uh, cats afterwards. get yeah, yeah, after, yeah afterwards. So you know, it's probably oh, even anti-inflammatories and yeah. things like that. Oh, and that's yeah. stuff that we use every day. Every day, so, exactly. Yeah. So that's really low. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, I mean, there's a very small risk of a fatality. That's the not so nice statistic that I tell all owners, yeah. yes. and that's less than 0.5 percent. Yeah. Um, so one in 200. And the reality is that's what's been published, but I think I would see vastly lower than that. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, and I think if we're very quick to get onto side effects and we're doing blood counts to monitor things, that's actually very, very unlikely. Okay. Yeah. And, and what are you checking with the blood counts? Like, are you talking about white blood cells? Why is that important to keep an eye on? Yeah, so obviously white blood cells are important in controlling infections. Yep. And so when we give chemotherapy, we expect the white cell count should be above a certain number and, and ideally within normal. And then depending on the drug, that, that tends to sort of drop down at the, we call it the expected time of the nadir or the low point. Yeah. And Often that's between 7 to 14 days depending on the drug. So we actually have the patient come back in and we do another blood count and we see how low it goes. Because if it drops too low, we'll then put them on preemptive antibiotics and we'll do a dose reduction next time for some drugs. Yeah. And then when they're due back to come in again for the next treatment, we're checking the white cell counts back up again. Make sure it's, a, it's actually then responded back the way that it's supposed to. The bone marrow is still not having a sleep. Exactly, yeah. that's right. So when they come, when an animal's coming in for chemo, so well, how is chemotherapy given? You know, what are the different ways in which it, um, an animal can can get it? Yeah, look, the traditional would be IV. Yeah. Um, IV or, meaning 
In, uh, injection intravenous. Intravenous. Yes. Thank yeah, you, yeah. Robbie. <laughs> you were right with that one, were you, Lewis? Yeah, yeah. thanks, mate. Yeah, that thanks. Was, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, yeah. help me out. It's yeah, great. Yeah. Good on you. That's I'm, right, still, I'm trying to keep up. I've got your back, trying mate. To keep yeah, up. it's all right. <laughs> You're doing well. You're doing well. Thanks, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but usually even then we do it as an outpatient type situation. Yep. So they don't have to come in and be hospitalised all day. They tend to come in for their treatment. We check them over. We check where they're at with their cancer. So if, if they've got lymph nodes, we might measure them to see if they're going into remission. And then we do our blood counts and if all looks good, we treat them and they go home. So an average chemotherapy visit is about an hour. Yeah, um, right. Some people have to get to work and so they might drop off and pick up and so it's different for everybody. Yeah. But it shouldn't be stressful. You know, most dogs can come in. They actually get to know us really well and a lot of them get really excited when they get to the clinic. <laughs> oh, um, that's nice. And yeah. We have nice, calm, quiet oncology room far away from the noisy surgeons and ICU <laughs> people. <laughs> and the behaviourists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but the other ways we can give it, um, oral chemotherapy is quite common yep. now. And we have some protocols where we give really dose, low dose chemotherapy on a frequent basis. That's called metronomic chemotherapy. Yeah. Oh, um, right. Yeah, no, that's too big for me. Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> going to ask if you knew what that one was. I, I, I knew, but I was just going to try and test you out. Well, well I know the, the metronome on the piano. Yeah, do you? Yes. Fantastic. Yeah, TikTok. Is that, yeah, that related right. to that? That's all yeah. it is. Just like that. Just yeah. like TikTok, TikTok Thanks, guys. chemotherapy, mate. That's, that's Thanks, as easy guys. as it is. When yeah. did this become big on Lewis Day? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, when we give it in the vein, we tend yep. to give it sort of higher dose, less frequently. So you might give it every three weeks or every one or two weeks, but it's, you know, they're coming in for those appointments. But yeah. when we're giving it in metronomic fashion, they're giving it at home every day or every second day. So it's kind of like that TikTok regular treatments but it's much lower dose so it's actually even better tolerated about 90 percent get minimal to no side effects with that one yeah right um, and it's it's tr it's aims are different we're not necessarily trying to kill the cancer directly with that one we're actually trying to cut off the blood supply because the blood supply or cancers need a blood supply to grow and so um, metronomic chemotherapy helps to block that and it also helps to take the immunosuppression away and allow the cancer to sort of or the body to fight that cancer the immune system to get in there and start trying to clear it out yep. itself yeah trying to take the handbrake off a little bit exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so it's a really cool way of treating i use that a lot for metastatic cancers actually um when they're metastatic spread being ones that have spread to is into those other areas yes. yeah 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 yes Excellent. Excellent. So let's just take back a bit. So I've seen as the as the GP vet, I've seen a dog or a cat and I've diagnosed it perhaps uh, by a blood test or biopsy with lymphoma, which is the most common sort of cancer that you see. And then they sort of the owners are interested in following up a little bit more. So I send them off to you as a referral. What sort of your what happens then? What do you do to decide what they need for, for chemotherapy or whether they are a candidate for chemotherapy? What sort of things are you doing? Yeah, that's a good question. So we have the initial consultation, we call it, where we spend about an hour with the client going through the pathology reports that you've provided and the history and feeling the lymph nodes um, and, and discussing, you know, the first part of the consultation is talking to the owner about the cancer and how it behaves. Um, sometimes there's more staging tests that need to be done and staging is basically um, tests to see how far the cancer's gone or if it has spread or not to other parts of the body. And then the other focus of our discussion is what are the treatment options? Because the reality is there's not one treatment option for cancers yeah. you know there's lots of we can be cu more curative intent or more intensive or we can be very palliative or there's sometimes even a middle road where we're not 
completely palliating, but we're not going really intensively. We're going for a simpler protocol. Um, And I do that a lot for people that have to travel a long way or they might have some cost constraints because chemotherapy, we don't have the PBS or Medicare for animals. And that's probably the downside is chemotherapy can be expensive, but it doesn't have to be. There sometimes can be a a middle road if, if there are cost constraints. So I think it is always good to have that chat and get the options. And then the pet is often um, admitted for the day and we might do our, our tests if we need to. Sometimes we don't need to. Sometimes all the tests have been done and then we, we roll into treatment or um, owners might want to take some time to think about their options. You know, there's never any pressure to, to treat. It's all about informed consent and owners hearing what's out there and then making a decision as to whether they want to do that or not. And I think that's what I love about sending cases to you is that it's not, you know, owners get worried that, that you know, that uh, you send the dog there that they're locked into doing a certain, you know, treatment or going down a certain path. But I think, I think the love... Um, you know the patients that you see you give them the options you talk them through you know and and they don't have to make that decision um, you know and and you present everything to them the 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 stats as well as 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 what needs to be done so really you know I think that's a real way that chemotherapy has changed is the care aspect and certainly bring that really to your to your practice obviously yeah thank you I think that's really important and I always have a whiteboard in my room and it's full of statistics and numbers and things because it's a lot for owners to take in i fully accept that that to remember everything we've talked about so we try to do it visually and verbally um but all the reception and the surgeons often laugh at my whiteboard afterwards (laughs) and how (laughs) how full it is surgeons whiteboards easy they draw a picture or something they get the the eraser out and they just rub it straight off yeah just cut it out you know i reckon the biggest thing i'll put on whiteboard is how to empty anal glands oh really know where they sit yeah the tail there and the the little two o'clock ten o'clock nice fantastic (laughs) do do a picture of your finger going in there as well do or you just not that good you're not that good at it no no no. (laughs) (laughs) that's great though Um, and i guess because that's the thing i mean it's such a massive thing and because the owner's it's by time they've been to their GP vet and a diagnosis has been made, or at least even a suspicion of it, mm-hmm. their anxiety is already going to be building. And so it's that thing of where when they're going there, I mean, you're seeing people when they're just so anxious about what's actually going on that, yeah, it's, I mean, like, like with anything, you want to make sure that, you've, that you're making the right decision and making the right decision for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that we always talk about on the podcast about how important it is of actually communicating with your, with your vet that, to make sure that you are actually happy with what's going on. So, yeah. Definitely. And people say that often they feel really stressed coming in, but once they have that knowledge, even if they decide not to do anything, they feel less stressed just knowing their options and knowing what the potential outcomes are, even though it can be hard to predict with cancer yeah. what the outcomes are. You know, we use statistics, but at the end of the day, it doesn't predict what's going to happen to the individual. And I'm always you know, big on telling people that as well. Yeah, so give them the information just calms them down, just, you know, means that they're informed. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And from your own sort of personal perspective, I suppose, as in, you know, every day, I guess me and Robbie are lucky, you know, we get to cuddle the kittens and the puppies, you know, occasionally. This is all the, all the fun That's stuff. That's right. Yeah, but yeah. but we also get to deal with the end of life stuff. So we're dealing, I guess, at both ends. Being a cancer, you know, an oncology specialist, obviously you're dealing with people that are highly emotional and also the pets that are perhaps, you know, a lot sicker and perhaps nearer their end of their life sort of stuff. How do you sort of cope with that yourself on a daily basis? Mm, that's a really good question and it can be hard. You know, there are some days that are the darker days where you seem to lose or, or weeks, you lose a, pa- a lot of patients in that week yeah. and, and that can be really challenging. But then there's other weeks where they all seem to be going into remission and you've got all these wins. And I think that's the important part of this specialty is celebrating the wins. 
Um, and, and we keep in contact with our clients. We have a callback list. And so um, just the other day I called a client to see how her dog Benji was going and he's almost three years out from a mediastinal lymphoma. Yeah, wow. She's just Jeez, had a baby. Awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. So yeah. she sent me a photo of Benji and the baby. And oh, she's had a baby. Yeah, she's had a baby and Benji was able to meet the baby. I mean, you know, almost three years ago she didn't think that that, that was going to be the case. And so they're the things I think you've got to really celebrate and yep. then accept that – for the other ones, you've, you've probably helped them in that journey and you've made their end of life um, often no more bearable and helped the owners to prepare for that. And um, and I think it's also about trying to switch off, you know, after work, yeah. you're turning off your phone for a while. I'm not very good at that, but in theory, <laughs> that's what you should do. <laughs> None of us are. <laughs> um, a bit of self-care, but also working as a team. You know, I've got an intern starting next week, which I'm super excited about. I've got a great oncology nurse and a team advanced vet care. You can kind of you know, share the load a little bit and make sure that that's good for the owner too because they've got multiple people that they can come to and talk yes, to yeah. about things. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of... Fantastic. I think probably the question that's on the listeners' minds now, the, the listening probably the most is, is did you give Benji as uh, owner a copy of my book before they had the baby? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, oh. tell your dog you're pregnant. Tell your dog you're pregnant. I'm pretty sure I did, Lewis. Oh, yeah, oh, there you go. Oh, you see, fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah, you have little faith, Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why we got Laura on today. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have a copy myself. Oh, I love it. Didn't expect that. That's fantastic. <laughs> there you go. Nice one, mate. Yeah, you're penetrating in deep. There we there. go. Yeah, deep you, cuts. You, you and Mark Zuckerberg. There we go. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When are you going to get Mark Zuckerberg on to talk about whether I He's read it or not? Uh, well, he's got it. He's got, he's got it. a well, copy. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to hijack the book. Oh, no, hijack, you know, so. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, so tell us. Um, so I mean, again, from when you know, back in the black and white days when we graduated, you know, and what was known about oncology was, yeah, you know, I mean, we knew a bit, but I mean, it just seems like things are just exploding now. And I remember um listening to a uh, a webinar that you did where you're talking about um like all the like the crazy molecular stuff and all this sort of whiz bangetry that's going on. Um, you know, uh, is there any sort of interaction between veterinary oncology and human oncology as far as the expansion of knowledge or, you know, commonality in diseases, that sort of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. There's a whole field now called comparative oncology where right. we're looking at treating cancer in dogs to help and cats, sorry, um, to help the, the, the situation in people. And by studying both cancers sort of together, we hope to improve the quality of life of both species. So there's lots of cancers that are really similar between dogs and cats and people. Right. You think about osteosarcoma, which is a bone cancer, yep. really similar in children and dogs. Right. And actually limb sparing surgery was developed and pioneered in in, in Colorado in dogs before it was done in, in kids. Really? And so a lot of children didn't lose their limbs because of the surgeries that were being developed in dogs. Um, so which is the limb sparing, can you just get run past what, what, what you mean by that? Yeah, sorry. So yeah, we were talking before about how dogs often get their legs amputated and that's yep. still considered the standard of care for most um, osteosarcomas. But when they happen in a certain part of the leg, um, you can sometimes take out the tumour and leave the leg in place. Right. And then you can use an implant or a bone graft or, or various te techniques to... Um, to support the leg and so that was that was pioneered in, in Colorado um, and then they started they now do that in children no, no children get their legs amputated wow um, the, the problem with it in dogs is there's a really high incidence of infections and implant failure and sometimes you go through a, a limb sparing surgery and ultimately if it fails you end up 
amputating. Yeah, yeah, and yes. so, and there's no survival benefit in doing a limb sparing surgery. It just literally means you can spare the limb. Right. So because animals don't have the same sort of cosmetic um, <laughs> sort of um, importance on having all limbs, and they they cope really well on three legs. You know, yeah, even yes. the large breed dogs do do exceptionally well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. But so we don't always do limb spares, but they certainly were developed. In the hard, yeah. The hardest thing amputating a leg is just convincing the owners. I reckon yes. often more more than anything, you know, because dogs they don't they don't care. They're like, yeah, I'm not sore anymore on that that leg with the, the bone cancer in it. Let's go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I've seen kelpies, you know, rounding up sheep with three legs, and um, they're amazing what they can do. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. So, is there any other comparative stuff that, that they're looking at? Yeah. So, there's quite a few. There's, there's um, cats that get breast cancers or mammary cancers. They tend to get a, a hormone negative form, which is similar to a form that women with breast cancer get. So, they're another model that, that can be useful. Um, prostate cancer is not a particularly good one because they're quite different. In dogs, um, they tend to get the – they're not hormonally dependent, whereas in people, um, you can often block hormones and, and do really well. So, there's, there's some it fits well for. There's some that it, it doesn't fit as well for. And so the first step is when you're developing a model is is looking at the two cancers and seeing if they're similar in terms of the what you're seeing under the microscope and how they present in the patient. But the reality is dog models are vastly superior to, to rat or mice models. And traditionally when we're developing new treatments, we fall back on using rats and mice to study. The reality is rats and mice are very different to people. And now that we've mapped the canine genome, we know that they're very similar um, between the canine and human genome, particularly in the genes that seem to turn on or cause cancer right okay yeah so it's so it's really interesting also dogs get cancer spontaneously um, in the same environment that we live in whereas rats and mice they actually have to artificially induce these cancers to study them which is also a bit of an ethical dilemma yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so why not study cancer in pets that's happening anyway yeah Um, it happens faster like the natural sort of life of that cancer is faster so you get quicker results for people yeah right Um, and yeah there's just limitless I guess benefits for both species, and it's not like yeah, as you say, because they are spontaneously occurring cancers. Um, these are animals that have got cancer anyway, and it's not like that the treatments that are being used are treatments that aren't working. They are legitimate treatments that are treating that cancer. It's just that you can directly correlate that success for that cancer that you've treated with that dog or cat and compare that to a, to a human and be able to say, all right, like, will this be able to change the world for the people that have got these cancers as well? Exactly, that's right. And, and it's not just like this amazing thing that might be happening somewhere else. We're actually doing them. Last year we did a trial in dogs for bone tumours again using a new drug. So we still got standard of care. They still got surgery and chemotherapy, but we added in a new drug to see if there was a survival benefit. And that's all sort of in process at the moment. But that's where if we start to see benefits in those trials, they then go to the human trials. That's so fantastic. It's, it's exciting stuff. Yeah. Um, what else is happening on the on the on the horizon? You know, what's the what's the other stuff as far as oncology that's uh, you know sort of like on the on the frontiers that uh, that sort of really gets you out of bed in the morning, gets you high five and go, oh, we're going to kick cancer in the ass today. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question, and I think. Um, we talked a bit before about how chemotherapy is a bit non-specific. It doesn't yeah. really know that's a normal cell and that's a cancer cell. The future of cancer treatments is going to be a lot more targeted and, and it already is. You right. know, in humans, we're not 
making more, finding more chemotherapy drugs. We're making targeted therapies. And the animal field is a little bit behind the human field, obviously. But um, what's happening now is you, you find a tumor and you find what's actually gone wrong in that cancer. Um, and then you make a drug that, that turns that off or targets that receptor or that abnormality. And that's, the, that's called more personalized medicine. Right. And looking far into the future, rather than saying you've got a lung cancer or you've got a breast cancer, cancers will hopefully be more defined by what mutations they carry and what they need what what needs to be blocked yeah, um, right. so we've got targeted therapy we've got immunotherapy we're talking about harnessing the immune system um there's there's research going into gene therapy oncolytic viral therapy that was one we talked about in the webinar yes where yep. we're actually using viruses and engineering them and then injecting them in um, to help fight cancers so wow. there's all this cool stuff and that's what i love about the oncology field is it's ever-changing and yeah, it's yeah. got such rapid growth and development wow that is that's amazing which yeah. is ironic yeah. considering that you know you're oncologist yeah you know, you've got this this rapid exponential growth of knowledge of the thing that you're trying to help to <laughs> i see what you're saying here i'm going there yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the picture's only just 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 launching my head there lewis you know yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah obviously um uh, you know uh had a, uh, one one sort of thought was a lot of the listeners out there hopefully they're listening up and their pets haven't got cancer mm-hmm. um and perhaps they're thinking you know are there any sort of known causes of cancer in animals i mean in humans you know we've got say skin cancers and um, are there any sort of things that people can do with their pets? You know, don't feed, uh, you know, raw chicken wings. Oh, I don't know. Just, you know <laughs> but is, is there anything that you can give advice to help people to to minimise the chances of their pets getting cancer in the future? Yeah, look, I think that what you said about UV, sun exposure is probably the big one in Australia particularly, especially our white cats with no pigment and yeah. our sun-baking white dogs. Yep. Um, there's some great, uh, a bit of a plug for Bromelli, but there's some great sun suits that are made over in Perth by a company called Bromelli. And well, we might beat that out because they, they might sponsor us. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> they do these. They actually fit them to the dog. Like you have right. to give a lot of measurements. Yeah, but, right. um, but then they can if they can if we get one for being, Lewis? Yeah, <laughs> hey, that's a great kind of like a stinger suit when you're up in Cairns, you know, going with this, swimming with the uh, the little jellyfish there, so they get bitten, that sort of thing. Yeah, yep, exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah, okay. so so, but I mean, even better would be keeping them out of the sun in those the, the hot part yeah. of the day. Um, so avoiding it, but if you really can't avoid it, then using those sort of sunsuits are great. Do they do they cover the cat's noses and their ears? Is that no, no actually, like a gimp, I don't know gimp mask or something. It's like more that? of a dog thing, actually. I don't know <laughs> if they do a cat suit. We'll have to check that out. Cat um, <laughs> 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 They've just got little in- ear insert things that go over there. They make them look like Batman. It'd be great. And a little strap on nose. A little strap like on nose. Marks. <laughs> <laughs> a little mustache under there. <laughs> nice. Um, the other co- common ones we think about are tobacco smoke um, or smoking. Yeah. And obviously right. that's more of an issue if you're, you know, primarily smoking yourself but secondhand smoke has had some weak associations with cancers and there's some there's a study of cats that were you know grooming themselves in in households with heavy smokers and had you know a higher incidence of some forms of lymphoma um so you know we think about smoking reducing our own risks of cancer but potentially our pets risks as well um wow that's incredible oh and there was yeah. an awful study done in the 80s before there were ethics committees where they actually made dogs smoke they put in little <laughs> oh. tubes and yeah no and gave them direct smoke and, and, and had higher incidence of lung cancer hang on i've seen a photo of that were they playing poker as well <laughs> <down the table? laughs> 
Yeah, around a billion table. I've seen that one yeah, too. Yeah, seen that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty I didn't, sure. I didn't realize that was a snapshot from the actual study, <laughs> Lewis. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. So they made, they like, spoke them through the through, through their trachea, were they? I believe so. Like yeah, I think they I think they wow. put the track tubes in, and um, I mean, I guess it probably helped us realize that smoking caused cancer, and so, but yeah, not a very ethical study. Pretty once horrible again. in the uh, in the in the you know no dirt kind of news there. You know, isn't it stupid when they do you know, things like that happen? It's like, well. What the hell else did you think was going to happen? Well, maybe that was why they proved it in humans. And yeah, I guess it could have yeah. been. Is that yeah, maybe yeah. what Laura's saying. So yeah, but look, I think the reality is environmental causes are apart from those classic ones like UV smoking, asbestos causing mesothelioma. Yeah. Environmental causes are probably not a as big a th- risk as what we think. A lot of pet owners think, "What have I done wrong? What could yes, I have done differently?" Yeah. The reality is nothing. You know, these cancers happen because of, we know it's a genetic disease. They happen because of genetic mutations, and a lot of times they're just sporadic. You know, yeah, spontaneous. Spontaneous. Not even that many of them are inherited like we might think. Um, so most of them are just sporadic mutations that happen in the body. So Just a crap bad luck. Just yeah. a yeah, genetic roulette and they're just unfortunately the immune system was asleep that day and away it went. It got through the keeper. That's yeah, right. yeah. No, no, I think you mentioned the guilt stuff, but I think that's that's an absolutely massive thing with pets, but also with humans, you know. When when you lose somebody or, you know, mm-hmm. somebody you know gets cancer, I reckon there's a lot of that guilt. They're thinking about what could we have done differently or what, what do we miss or what happened there. So yes. yep. yeah, that must be that's a big part of it. Um I guess t- touching just a, a question a little bit left field that we sort of didn't run by you earlier. Oh, question without notice. <laughs> Fantastic. Do you like those ones, are we? <laughs> um, alternate therapies. Ah, yes. You know, um, you know, a lot of owners, you know, for whatever reason, they're reluctant to go down the uh, the conventional medical path. Um, and what are your thoughts on the alternate, some alternate therapies that are out there to, for, mm. for helping with cancer? I mean, there's so many. I can't even think of one off the top of my head. So many. There yeah. are. And I guess I meet clients who are often doing that along with the chemotherapy or the treatments that we're doing. And I'm, I'm quite open to that. I think some oncologists have a bit of a it's us or them sort of yeah, mentality. Yeah, yeah. Leave, leave, um, yeah. leave your alternative therapies at the door. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the risks in alternative therapies are that they're not yet proven and they're not yet subjected to peer-reviewed sort of scientific analysis and so what I don't want people to do is put a lot of hope into them I think you get a lot of people that really push them and 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 if they turn away from our conventional treatments and choose that path and things don't go well then that can be they've missed out potentially on an opportunity to treat so what I think is better if people are open to that is that they can it's possible to sort of do them concurrently with we don't know exactly how they interact and it depends on which ones we're talking about. But my general rule is if we're going on any sort of herbal supplements or any sort of – I want to know what they are. So I want people to be honest with me and tell me that they're doing it. And I'll usually say to stop them for three or four days before and after any treatment because we just don't know about interactions and it hasn't been studied yet. But I'm certainly open to doing it. There's a lot we don't yet know and there are probably some things that actually do work better than what we think. Yeah. But they can also do harm. Um, and, and we think about herbs being potentially – safer but the reality is that all our chemo drugs are, are derived from herbs you know yes yeah yeah and christine's from the periwinkle plant and um right. yeah paclitaxel's from the bark of a yew tree so they're in some ways they they're are con- natural they're natural they are naturally occurring compounds out of a naturally occurring tree but they just come out of a bottle rather than exactly out of a out of the fourth 
shelf up, you know, next to the ginseng root. Mm. <laughs> so, so I'm t- I take you don't have the Bell Gibson book on your shelf then at work to. I've got to, a cookbook to be honest. Before <laughs> that, we knew that she was dodgy. <laughs> My best friend gave it to me, and now I feel like I'm not sure what to do with it. There's some, some good recipes in there. I think, I think you've got to burn that now. You can't have that see up there. <laughs> Just replace that with a Pete Evans one. That'd be all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah the new expert on pet food. That's Pete right. Evans. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, also, the other thing. Um, you, know, you mentioned cats and dogs. Do you see any other animals at all? Do you do see you know, any? Yeah, we do. Not very commonly, but we've seen see some rabbits. Um, rabbits can get thymomas, which is a cancer in front of the, the right. chest. Yeah. Ferret, ferrets get lymphoma. I haven't treated a ferret yet, to be honest. But yeah. it, you know that does happen. Hard work trying um, to get. A vein on a ferret, I would have oh, thought. Oh yes, I yeah, can imagine. That'd be I'm, tough. Yeah, 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 for sure. And and rats actually, I've treated a, a, a rat with cancer once. Um, so common. so not as commonly. Um, oh, and horses, horses get melanomas and lymphomas and things like that. But we don't, we're not really set up. You know, we don't have the facilities to see horses. So I more often speak to equine vets about things they can do. Bird vets as well. The bird vets see quite a lot of cancer. So I, you know, sp- spoken a lot to the bird specialists in Melbourne and. Yeah. So when you were doing your, your, your again question without notice or apologies, but so when you were doing your doing your specialist training, like did you have to cover the gamut of wow? So yes. like you know uh, exotics and all that sort of stuff. So when you know it, it, the specific things you need to study for those, or are you just going at it from first principles? Like okay, okay, well get your biopsy, find out what the cell type is, and then extrapolate from that from known studies. Yeah, you do. You fall back on first principles a lot, and then yeah. also there's often some small studies or case studies, and so um, we sort of use those as well. So, um, but it's definitely an area that there's much more limited information. Yeah, um, yeah. And so you do have to you know fall back on those a little bit. Yeah. Did, did someone try and hit you with a real stumpy one in your uh, in your special? Specialist exams on, you know, like a tumour in a goldfish or, a, you know, <laughs> an, an alpaca with a lump or something oh, like that. No, know? I didn't get any exotics and I was all prepared for oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all studied up and didn't get a single one. But oh, there's, no. There's only so much they can examine and I think um, it's hard to pop those questions into exams because you've also got to cover all the other All the other cancers. stuff, yeah. 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 Um, a, a, friend, um, a friend of ours, uh, Kate Heading, who's a, a medicine specialist, she was talking about, um, you know, with the examiners that, you know, if you're going to ask a question, you need to know what the answer is. So yes. I guess the thing is, yeah, if, you, if, you, if you're going to be asking a question about, a, you know, the, the Sumatran rhino and you know, its chances of getting uh, getting bone cancer, you need to know what the hell the damn answer is because if the person sitting across the desk knows and you don't, it's probably not great. It doesn't you look know? good. It doesn't no. look good, no. <laughs> You've got to write the answer key. That's right. You yeah. come up with that stuff. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you've just, you've just done all the exams and, you know, and you're back on the tools again um, and you've just, you've just, some, you've just come back from maternity leave yes how are you finding that you know work-life balancing as far as mum because i mean it's not like you're you're in a pretty you know i mean you're in a fairly intense environment of dealing with you know you're you're a specialist you know so you've been able to keep yourself boned up with all your information and stuff and now you're straight back on into the you know onto the front so how are you finding that yeah, look, I, I love it, to be honest. Yeah. I really love the balance between being a mum and, and being at work and, and having a career. And I wouldn't have it any other way is yeah. the reality. But it is it can be really hard. You know, they're, they're long days. You're sort of getting up and getting the kids out the door and then 
rushing off to work and then having a really full-on day, as you say, and, yeah. a, and a long day. And then for me, I'm still breastfeeding my one-year-old, so I have to get home by seven to give her that last feed of the day. And then there's always lots of records to write. So then once the kids are in bed, you're sort of typing and replying to emails and often not getting to bed till after midnight and then you kind of get up and do it all again the next day. So it's pretty exhausting, but it, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, and cool. I mean, there's there's days where I've, realized, I've got in the car and realised I've still got my slippers on and had to run <laughs> up and get my shoes <laughs> or I had snot on my pants the other day because <laughs> my little girl's got a cold and both knees, right, that toddler height. I was like, oh my God, I can't turn up, turn up to work with snot on my pants. <laughs> That's right. We're vets, you know, we've, we've, had, we've had worse on pants. True, you know, it's true. All right. It's all good. I know, but I feel like you can't start the day you like that. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos to you, I think, you know, to be you know, at the pointy end of our profession with oncology and then to, to be running, the, you know, having a family as well. I'm sure you've got support, mm. but, you know, to, to be, you know, running a family as you do and, and juggling all the balls, it, it's, it's amazing. Uh, high-powered women like yourself. It's fantastic. Really, really good. Yeah, really. It's great you're taking the time on a Saturday to come and chat to us. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, how's your work-life balance? Oh, yeah, great. Nice to come here on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right, Lewis. You couldn't do it without support. I reckon that's the key. Like, I've got a really supportive husband, family, mum, and that all makes it really possible. So, And you, um, and your girls think that all you do is just go and just play with animals all day too. Yeah, you know, exactly. Which is, which is great. You know? <laughs> they come good, to work sometimes. They love it. <laughs> setting an awesome example for them. I'm sure. I really, hope so. Really good example, definitely. You, you do feel bad about the times you're not with them, but I think that's the key. You also think, well, I'm hopefully being a role model for them to see that they can grow up and be whatever they want to be. No yeah. doubt about it. Definitely. Yeah. Um, now, we've got, we've got a few listener questions yeah, that we might okay. come Can we through? ask you some questions from our listeners? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, so first off, um, a, a great uh, great friend of mine, uh, Don and Cato on Instagram, I uh, wanted to know whether or not there's any new treatments for brain cancers on the horizon. Mm, so okay. they were broad ones, so not necessarily down to any particular brain cancer, but you know where where are we at? What are the sorts of things that are um, that you know that are, that are on offer in the veterinary scheme of things for um, for brain tumors? Yeah, look, I think the more exciting thing for us here in Australia for brain cancer is we now have access to stereotactic radiotherapy. Oh, what's that? Wow, oh, no, yeah, that's that pretty yeah. cool. Hang on, is even, that me no, asleep? No, yeah, no, that's 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 even me with you, mate. That's that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's wow. basically really pinpoint radiation. Right. So um, you can give really high doses to the tumour and it's so accurate that you're giving much less dose to the normal brain tissue. Ah. And so this has been available for pets in America for a while. So I did my internship or externship in Colorado in 2010 and I was learning about that then. But in Australia, we've only just got that in this year. Yeah, um, right. So what that means is instead of dogs that have brain cancer used to have radiation like your standard radiation therapy, which would go over three or four weeks of sort of daily radiation therapy from Monday to Friday. Yeah. Now, because they can make it much more pinpoint, they can do that treatment in anywhere from one to five treatments. So in one week, wow. um, usually about three treatments. Um, and so that means, because they have to go under anesthetic each time they have yeah. radiation. So, so that might be an option, you know, for this listener. It depends a little bit on the size of the tumor, if there's any fluid around it. So some of the bigger tumors with a lot of fluid aren't great candidates, yeah. but the smaller tumors, um, you know, are great candidates for stereotactic and, you know, for your meningiomas, which are the ones that are more in the surface of the brain. That's because um, your, your meninges are the, you know, they're, they're like the bits on the outside of the brain, aren't they? You know, the parts that make your, your um, the fluid that sits around the, around yeah. your brain and your spinal cord. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. And you can often tell, so, you know, this listener is welcome to contact me via yeah. you guys and we can have a little look at it. Um, you can often get an idea from the imaging what sort of brain tumour it might be. Yeah, right. Um, the other one is gliomas. 
tremors, which happen more in the, the, the sort of body of the brain or the main tissue of the brain. And there's a lot of other ones, but they're the main two. Yeah, right. And meningiomas are sometimes, uh, surgery can sometimes be an option because they're on the external surface of the brain, the sort of covering of the brain. If they're in the right location and the right size, um, sometimes they can be operated on. Yeah, and right. you can even use a combination of surgery and radiation therapy. So they're more your traditional treatments. But um, the exciting new thing for me is that stereotactics now available, which yeah. means we can get those treatments done in less fractions, less number of treatments. Um, but it's in Sydney. So there's I two places. I was going to say, who, who got that? Who, who got do, that yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sash and um, ARH um, both can do it in Sydney. They've got two radiation oncologists who were trained overseas. They've brought that to Australia. Um, they're both wonderful people. So Yeah, um, right. So that's certainly the stuff that's sort of more commercially available. Yeah, you yeah. Know, there's other stuff sort of in the pipeline. We used to think chemotherapy didn't affect these um, because they have trouble getting through the blood-brain barrier. That's like a barrier that protects the brain from, from drugs. Nasty stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is a good thing. Um, for normal brains but yep. when you've got a tumour in there and you want to get drugs into there it can be can create a challenge yeah. um, but the newest study just last year showed that there was a small but significant survival benefit even just in giving in chemotherapy yeah, so right, for yeah. patients that can't travel to Sydney or don't want to go down things like radiation and surgery sometimes that's an option as well yeah right there's another really cool study from last year where they did that metronomic chemotherapy giving little doses and then they did brain surgery removed the tumours and found that there was can there was chemotherapy therapy in the tumors so oh. they were actually able to get it in there so it was getting in there yeah right. it was getting in there yeah when they were using a particular drug with a particular sort of dosing schedule so you know there's, there's plenty of sort of standard of care things out there and then the sort of big picture stuff which is not very accessible is there's this stuff on oncolytic viral therapy in the states there's um, nanoparticle technology nanoparticles um, here yeah. we go now we're, now, we're, now we're getting into the real cutting edge stuff now in a space right. it's all in a space in a space yeah I know it's it's just, it's just shrink down Martin Short and put him in a little capsule is that how it so, works yeah didn't you ever see that movie yeah, 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 space, yeah. Great. and he sneezed him out yes that's yes. right yeah yeah the bit I remember of that movie is he asked he was allergic to uh, to hairspray hairspray yes and he asked for hairspray to sneeze out and someone gave him moose instead oh. I thought nah there's a trip for, yeah. trap for Actually, young yeah, players no, it was, it was Dennis Quaid that got shrunk down. It was in Martin Short. Right. That was the thing. Right. Yes. Yeah, don't don't mix the actors. No, no. It was one of the it was the first one. It was the second movie I ever saw at the um at the at the pictures. Nice. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. The first go. one was Follow That Bird with Big Bird. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you, have you seen that one? No, more? I missed that one. Yeah. We all missed that one. <laughs> I must have been studying. Ro- no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, Robbie's got a very eclectic taste in movies. <laughs> Um, the other one on that note is you can actually make um, tumor vaccines, and we can do this in Australia too. So, oh right, you, you have to work? you have to actually take a piece of the tumor. So for the brain, that would involve brain surgery. Yeah. But we can then send that to a scientist again in Sydney. It's all happening in Sydney. Um, who mushes that up and sort of deactivates it and adds it to a. Um, a stimulant for the immune system and then you inject it back into the patient. Right. So we don't yet know a lot about outcomes, but this is another immunotherapy technique where you're, you're kind of creating a vaccine from that patient's own tumour to help activate and show the cancer and show the immune system that, that wow. Have a look at this. Yeah. Have a look at this. Yeah, not, not to tell you how to do your job, immune system, but maybe you might, maybe you might have a second look at this. <laughs> exactly. Have a check at a second pass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, we uh, got one one other question from Jack Staffy, which I'm going to actually hijack a little bit. Mm. I wanted to just sort of touch on, um, you know, we see a lot of uh, um, owners in GP clinic that they, they bring in their dog or their cat and it's got a lump. 
it's got a, a lump on the skin or maybe it's just under the skin um and you know and they're sort of saying to us you know what is it you know yeah. uh, wh- wh- what do i do about this lump you know you know maybe it's a middle-aged dog you know or you know and 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 there's a dilemma in gp vets as to what we should do um and i sort of wonder if you could perhaps you know, obviously got a lot of vet listeners out there, mm-hmm. um, but also a lot of pet owners. So perhaps start with sort of pet owners. What would they expect the vet to do on that visit when, when we've got a lump? Yeah, look, I think um, with animals, it's really hard to tell what a lump is by visually looking at it. And in people, it's quite different. I was talking to a dermatologist about this, human dermatologist, and they were saying we can often tell a lot by the appearance of a lump. But we have to deal with mast cell tumours. And mast cell tumours we call the great pretenders. Great they can pretender. look like anything. Yeah. yeah. So they can be under the skin and soft like a like a fatty lump. Like you might feel it and think, oh, it's just a lipoma. Mm-hmm. But you can't tell until you, until you test it. So the moral of the story, I think, is that any new lump should ideally be tested. And in a really simple fashion, I'm quite happy. I think fine needle aspirates, when you take a needle just like what you'd use for a vaccination um, and pop it in and suck back some cells. And it's... It's, it's painless. It's painless yeah. to do it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It is. And you can get a lot of information. So It's simple. It's it's in, relatively inexpensive um, and exactly it can give you information about whether it's something you can probably just keep an eye on or whether you should biopsy it. Um, and so I think all new – and obviously I live in a bubble of, of, of a <laughs> referral practice where we get to do lots of tests and I know it's hard in, in general practice but I think at least – telling the owner this is what we should be doing and then the owner gets to choose whether they want to do that test but i think the worst thing that we can do is say oh let's just keep an eye on it because that gives that if it is worst case scenario and it may not be but if it is a little cancer it gives it more time to grow more time to spread um more time to behave badly so i think we should be aspirating all new lumps and bumps awesome tip out there that's fantastic so if your pet's got a lump don't just keep an eye on it Get yep. it tested. Yep. What, uh, what about like, you know, sometimes we get a dog or a cat that's just really, you know, mo- uh, jumping around really hard. Mm-hmm. To, maybe it's a tiny lump. It's maybe only a couple of millimetres. Mm-hmm. What would you sort of be saying, you know, should we still be trying to, you know, give them a little sedative and maybe take a biopsy or something like that of it, do you think? Yeah, that's a tricky one, Lewis. And I think um, sometimes you can ask a few more questions, you know, how long has it been there? I think ultimately it's always ideal to sample it. But if you've got a 15-year-old dog with a – you know, a, a, a heart murmur yeah. and a whole lot of prompt reasons why yes. you don't want to sedate it and you just can't, then yes, sometimes you play the, yes. um, let's, if it's growing or changing, yep, you should sample it. If it's really tiny and static, then then maybe you can break my rule and, and, and monitor it. <laughs> I, don't want to break, I don't want to break any of your rules. That's why I've got you in. <laughs> but, but I do have a common question from owners is that if you take a sample, you biopsy it or you aspirate it, is it going to make it worse? Is it going to make it spread? Ah, yeah, yeah. That's one of these myths that we have that actually is not true it doesn't make it worse it doesn't make it spread um there you go you heard it first on two vets talk pets yes (laughs) exclusive (laughs) take the sample i mean if it's a muscle tumor it can make some histamine release and it can make it get red and angry that shouldn't make it more readily spread and there's some exceptions like bladder masses where we have to be careful if you pop a needle into those you risk it seeding along the needle tract and, and making it worse although the risk of that is still actually very very low yeah okay um, right but yeah it's a it's a myth it's one of those myths we want to bust that you're not going to make it worse yeah just get in there get a sample when yeah. in doubt check it out fantastic well yeah. that's answered my questions and hopefully also jack staffy's questions that have, that have come in yeah now, you got one more mate one more question so from jane uh, jane said that my dog has been diagnosed with lymphoma and i'm thinking about treating with chemotherapy but i'm worried about having him at home after the treatment as i have two young kids will it be safe for them to be in the backyard with him after treatment 
Yeah, that's a good question and it's a common question because a lot of young families have pets. So um, I get asked that a lot. And I think the reality is that um, they're very low risks and there's no risk with them playing and grooming and interacting with the pet. Um, The main risks come from the body is basically metabolizing, excreting those chemotherapy drugs. And for about 72 hours later, there can be tiny traces. They're pretty, very low traces um, in the urine and stool and possibly saliva. Right. So if you have a very licky dog, you might say, look, in that 72 hours, we want to keep them a bit separate so that they're not licking the kids. Maybe Um, a Hannibal Lecter mask sort of scenario. Do you think (laughs) you got those at the clinic? No. (laughs) No, but I They come with a little sunsuit. It's great. A little little, little nose cover and a mustache. From from Barilla. Really over in WA. WA. Yes, <laughs> yes. Right. Another plug for the Romelli. <laughs> Romelli. <laughs> um, I have had people when they've been really worried about it use family members or friends and say, look, we're going to send the dog to Farm you for the two dog days. Out to Nana for a bit. Yeah, yep. yeah. Oh, someone they don't care about. You send the dog to <laughs> <laughs> Someone a bit older, they're less likely to have rapidly dividing cells. It'll be fine. <laughs> but to answer that question, I don't think it precludes it. I think you do a few things to make it safer. Yeah. Um, you can't say it's zero risk, but it's very low risk. And um, I went through two pregnancies whilst I was kind of doing this job and around these these drugs. And I was just always really safe, really aware of it. Um, and I don't think it precludes it at all. Yeah. 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 Excellent. And so so um, I guess on on that too. So when, um, you know, so if, if, say, if Jane does take a dog in, you're going to be giving one of the, um, the injectable drugs. How do you... Um, sort of maintain the safety for yourself with the administration of those medications because obviously that's when it's going to be at its most concentrated when it's sitting there in the vial and you're getting ready to getting ready to give it that's right yeah so we wear like full protective gear we wear the gowns gloves masks we wear the thicker chemo drug um gloves and when we're giving the drugs we use a closed system device so that there's no risk of needle stick injuries Um, so it's actually really safe by doing all of those things and then when the dog goes home we actually give the owner information sheets about you know how to clean up after an accident so the reality is there they often go and buy a bucket of gloves and they've got gloves and um, bleach is really handy like um, like yeah diluted bleach but if it's your favorite rug you might want to use like (laughs) detergent (laughs) rather than bleach Um, (laughs) but yeah using paper towels something you can throw in the bin rather than like your kitchen towel that you're going to use again yeah yeah um and the uv light is actually really good at deactivating any residues so if you've had like an accident in the bed for example you can take that out put it in the uv light for a while before you you wash it and then you want to put a couple of blank washes through before you put your normal washing through so uv light being out in the sun you're not taking it down to the local solarium and (laughs) that'd be quite bad if your local oncologist had said oh yeah yeah you don't want to be supporting solariums you know that's that's (laughs) That, that's no good at all. Well, you know? cancer specialist said I need to lie in the sunbed. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely no sunbed. Yeah. <laughs> Just good old-fashioned sun for that. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. All righty. That's it. Thank um, you so much for coming along and having a chat to us. We uh, really appreciate it, uh, taking your time out on in your busy schedule that you've got. And uh, and uh, where can, if people want to you know, find out, uh, have a chat to you, if they've got, got something they want to talk about, maybe they want to have a chat about their pet with an issue or they're concerned about something, what's the best way they can get in touch with you yeah so i'm at advanced vet care so they can either just call the clinic or email a lot of people email actually um and it's just info at advancedvetcare.com 
uh, au, and then yeah, then they usually forward that to me, and I get in touch with them. Attention, so. Doctor Broccoli. Yep. yep. Attention, Doctor Broccoli. And so, advanced vet care, obviously for for listeners, it's in Kensington in yes. Melbourne. That's where um where, where Laura uh, practices. So you can uh, get down and see her, or you can ask for a referral from your vet to go and see her as well. But um, really, really get on and um, you know, certainly we're we're big fans of, of the service that that oh, you provide. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's a great clinic actually because it's got surgery, ICU, medicine, and they really work as a cohesive team i've just started there this year but i just i just love it i must say they're, they're a good good bunch of specialists so, excellent oh yeah. good to hear good to hear all righty well uh might be time for us to sign off i reckon that's it yeah so thank you very much laura for, for joining us it's been uh, it's been great i hope the listeners have learned something and uh see it wasn't so scary it was all good you know it was great you know, you know it was, it's all good so if um anyone's got any questions they want to get in touch with us you can hit us up at the two vets to, uh, at two vets talk pets at gmail.com um if you uh, would like to sponsor us you can uh, find us on patreon so head to patreon.com search for two vets talk pets little as two dollars a month you can sponsor us and get access to all of our cool content that we're putting up the each back week. catalog the back catalog of q and a's yes get some a's for your and the, cues and the front catalog the front catalog well what do you got what do you got hiding in your front catalog no there, we're, mate? we're the ones we're about to oh, record the ones we're about to yeah, do right yeah yeah, yeah i've got you fantastic <laughs> <laughs> nice um, and otherwise uh, instagram and twitter and all that other yeah. sort of fun stuff so uh otherwise we'll uh, catch you all again next week thanks a lot laura thanks, thanks laura. for having me peace out later. bye Thanks for listening to Two Vets Talk Pets with Lewis and Robbie. To chat further about this week's episode or ask the guys any questions, search Two Vets Talk Pets on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or send an email to twovetstalkpets at gmail.com. You can find Lewis on Twitter with the handle at vetbehaviorist and more importantly, as the two pet heroes return to their day job of saving animals' lives, be sure to thank them with a five-star review on iTunes. Every time you do, a small, cute animal will receive a cuddle.